Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we have a listener suggestion, which you know now we love these. We've uh, had so many too. We've it's had like, so many. I it's love so it. Fun. It's so great. Uh, and they always have better ideas than we do. So totally, you know, bring keep bringing them on. Um, so this one was a great suggestion from somebody who said she had recently found the podcast and was moving and so she binge listened basically to a bunch of our episodes which was so nice to hear that she wanted to spend that time with us Uh, and so she made the suggestion that we should do book pairings which we have not done before it's interesting we did have this on our master document from way back when of of ideas I think I labeled them labeled them as book flights Uh, but this is the same idea it's putting books together. So, mm-hmm. and I'm going to toss it to you to say our lovely listener's name, because I believe that she is, we think she's Danish maybe, right? So if she is not, then I apologize because this entire time I've just been saying, oh, this is a Dane and she might be Norwegian and then she'll be super offended. But <laughs> we'll, we'll see. So if it, so I would say Rike. So okay. it's R-I-K-K-E. Okay. And I knew, uh, I had a good friend actually who was, uh, when I was an exchange student, who had that name. And it was such a hard name to say um, for a tongue-tied 17-year-old. So um, <laughs> so it was fun to see it again. Yeah. Uh, well, so thank you so much for that. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it. I'm sorry. I would, <laughs> I would butcher it. So, but thank you. We did. We loved it when that email came in and we love this topic idea. And we were actually just talking a bit before we started recording that it was a little bit more difficult than we expected it to be to come up with titles for this one. And uh, we could talk a little bit about about why I'll say for me. So first of all, it's been a it's been a busy few weeks here in my household and with work and things. And so I hadn't sometimes I sort of have an idea in mind of titles I'm going to talk about ahead of when I actually start jotting down my notes. And this time I just didn't. It was one of those things I was excited about the topic, but I just hadn't had a chance to really stop and think. And so Anna and I were messaging each other and we we both said, well, this is a little more difficult than we thought. And for me, it was because my brain immediately goes to read-alikes, which, right. you know, are book suggestions. If you liked this, you'll probably like this other title or you'll like this other author. If you like this author. And and that's not really what we are trying to go for, I don't think, here. I think we're talking about books that make a good reading experience when you match them together. Anyway, so for a read-alike, that tends to be a similar reading experience. And so if we're mm-hmm. talking about pairing books, suddenly my brain had to switch to thinking, well, what, what books would you kind of want to read back-to-back? Right. And, and why would you want to be reading those back-to-back? So it was a fun mental exercise for me tell me about your experience coming up with your titles yeah it was it was very much the same where i i so so uh our our listener i'm i'm going to say i still i'm i'm very convinced she's a dane but i just don't know for sure like i I wouldn't want to put money on that because i'd be too scared but um i i just i feel it in my bones so uh i felt so the the suggestions that she gave she gave were uh Pride and Prejudice and Bridget Jones's Diary, mm-hmm. which is, is makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. And then My Dark Vanessa and Lolita, which uh-huh. makes a lot of sense, yeah. too. And and definitely are not read-alikes on mm-hmm. on any of those. And so uh-huh. um, and so it but it was also hard because both examples she gave were sort of basing it in a classic. Right. And so that was really difficult for my brain to sort of go to, to other things that were not starting with a classic and then giving a modern response to mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. um and so so it did take quite a lot of of like i felt it felt very much like being back in school where you have mm-hmm. a, a professor who says we're reading these two books because they inform each other mm-hmm. and and i loved those experiences but then um that isn't necessarily the way my brain works anymore as a librarian mm-hmm. and so it just took a lot more sort of mental effort mm-hmm. to to do that but it was very fun and um yeah it, it was just it was a really cool exercise to do and you know I was just thinking we actually could do part two of this and just focus on the classics and then an updated yeah because that would be a fun topic too yeah we've done retellings yeah. before but we haven't right. started with the classic that, right 
right. that started it. So, so that would yeah, be really would be, fun to do. Yeah, as well. let's do that. Jot okay. that down. <laughs> uh, all right, well, why don't we dive in? You can share your first one. Okay, so my first one is an ode to Denmark. And um, this is actually one that this this wasn't the first one that I came up with came up with but once I had it I, I was like this is solid I'm not mm. I can switch out any of these other of these two pairs but this is the one I'm not changing because this is such a very specific um uh pairing to me so the so it's the Seducer, seducer's diary by Saren Kierkegaard and Erengard by Isaac Dinesen and then have a bonus book but I'll bring that up later <laughs> okay. um and so maybe this is only relevant to me but I'm not I'm just going with it. So uh, also I wrote my senior thesis about the seducer's diary. So whenever I can bring it up, I'm a happy girl. So, um, so Saren Kierkegaard is a 19th century Danish philosopher. And this book is part of a larger work called either or that sort of examines this hierarchy of morals. And so this section is sort of a novel, but it's also philosophy. And it's an epistolary novel because it's a, a diary. So it, it has room for both a plot and ruminations on, um, in, in this case, in aesthetics, which uh, Kierkegaard is saying is the lowest moral level. So um, it, so the, the person who is writing this is, is called Johannes, and he is someone who kind of, kind of like a dandy, I guess. Um, like he's, he's just um, not, not quite to that level, but he, he is invested in, in aesthetics. And so he observes a young woman named Cordelia, and he's taken by her innocence. And so he inserts himself into her life with the goal of seducing her and making her, a, a, I'm doing air quotes, interesting person. And he's just doing it for the thrill. And so he, appro- he approaches this as um, uh, like an education for her into being something more than just a blank slate, but he doesn't have any altruistic motives there. And when you read this, it comes off very much like a predator. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's it's creepy to read, mm-hmm. but great. And so Erengard is a, uh, uh, 20th century, um, like mid 20th century short novel that is written as a direct response to the seducer's diary. And so, um, so of course I had to do this. Uh-huh. Um, and it's written by Isaac Dinesen, who is the pen name of Karen Blixen, who, who wrote uh, Out of Africa. And um, she wrote one of my favorite books, Seven Gothic Tales. So I know I've talked about her before. Mm-hmm. And the plot of Erengard is very similar. It's about a man named Herr Kazat, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, I think they're supposed to be in a German speaking country. Um, and he's a famed artist. And uh, it, this is happening at some indistinct point in history. And he's employed by a baron. And he prides himself on his skills of seduction. And a young woman named Erengard, who's very uh, virginal, um, is appointed the lady in waiting to the baron's wife. And she's very visibly inexperienced with the world. And so Herr Gazat decides that he will seduce her and that specifically he wants to make her blush. And so the story goes goes through and it comes to this last line that is awesome and like is so directly tying back to the seducer's diary. And so um, I think I even wrote a paper with about these two works together. And mm. it was just such a fun if I'm remembering that that it was that paper, it was so much fun to write um, because there's very many things that Dinesen is doing that are specifically drawing on um, the seducer's diary. And so, so I just love, I love uh, book interactions in that mm-hmm. way. So these are obviously very dense, but they're um, very rewarding to read. And so the bonus book is City of Girls mm-hmm. by uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. So that's a novel that came out a couple of years ago that's set in a New York City theater just before World, World War II. And uh, the protagonist is a young woman named Vivian who escapes this boring life. Um, I think she's going to college and she, she gets out of that. She gets and- kicked out gets kicked out you're right you're right and then uh, she goes to live at her aunt's theater and it and she's completely taken up with the vibrancy of of that scene and the nightlife and she has these openly risque friendships and romantic partnerships and so within all of that glamorous frothiness is the question of what makes a person interesting and that falls right in line with the questions that Kierkegaard and Dinesen are asking and Gilbert is also putting forward this sort of moral code that she develops through the book. So mm-hmm. it just, to me, made it feel like a natural fit with these other works. So those are The Seducer's Diary by Søren Kierkegaard, Erengard by Isaac Dinesen, and Special Bonus, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, you know I loved City of Girls quite yes. a lot. So that, that's, 
I haven't read the other two. I'll have to read them. Um, my first pairing is Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly and The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell. Uh, so I think many people know Hidden Figures because it was made into a very successful movie. Uh, but just in case, um, it is it is originally a book. It's a nonfiction book about a group of women. It chronicles the achievements of, uh, I think it's five black women who worked at it was an, a federal agency. It was basically the precursor to NASA and mm-hmm. how their contributions were truly integral to enabling the U.S. to go into space. But were it was their contributions were vastly overlooked for a really long time. And so now it seems like, well, sure, everybody knows that they did that. But it, right. before that book came out. Nobody really knew that they did. That was definitely a buried part of our history. And so that book is is fascinating. The movie is great. It really does shine a light on these. They were called computers. They were women who helped the engineers uh, prove out basically the math behind their theories. And there was a couple, they did different jobs, but that was sort of the um, primary role that that these women played um and what becomes apparent is that they had they weren't just a supporting cast they actually made big contributions to the efforts uh to go to space to pair with that that so that's nonfiction. i'm pairing a a novel the calculating stars which is science fiction e it's sort of speculative <laughs> fiction uh but it's the kind of science fiction i like uh so it's uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, it starts with a meteorite hit, hitting the Earth, and it becomes apparent quickly that the planet is not going to survive. And so there's a big scramble to figure out. It's not it's not imminent in the next couple of days, but it's clear that it, in you know, several years, Earth isn't going to exist. So they have to go and repopulate or populate not repopulate they have to go populate another (laughs) planet Um, so the main so the main character elma fights to have she and her female colleagues who work at a national agency who are trying to send people to space to find a planet to colonize that she she fights for their right to be part of the astronauts that are going to be trained to run these missions and to be part of it and to do the exploration that's being planned to find a future home for hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, so obviously, I, there, I think there's a direct connection here to why I'm pairing these up because you're taking something that's nonfiction based in fact with something very speculative, but they're both grounded in very real issues. Mm-hmm. So obviously hidden figures, there's a lot about the racism that these women had to face and a lot of sexism as well. Um, and and that's something that the Calculating Stars tackles as well about the misogyny, basically, that exists in this hierarchy of who gets to go and who gets to be trained. And even though the women are just as smart and just as capable and just as able, they're kind of dismissed. And so I... I'm not a huge nonfiction reader. I did read Hidden Figures and I liked it a lot, but I'm generally not a big nonfiction reader. So to me, this I this kind of pairing is a way to entice a reader like me to read nonfiction because mm-hmm. it's it's I'm learning the facts, but then I get to read the fictional version where I get to get more inside people's heads and things like that. And right. there's more of the interpersonal stuff that that I love. So I didn't read these back to back or, you know, in in close succession with each other. But I think that they would make a really good pairing because um, they have such similar themes and qualities to them. Uh, So that is Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly and The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell. That sounds like a very fun pairing. I would, I would like to read those back back to back. Yeah. And I think actually The Calculating Stars is the first in a series, although I don't know that the second one, I'm not sure if it's come out. I read yeah. The Calculating Stars a couple of years ago, so I feel like it should have by now, but I just don't know if it's come out. Yeah, or not. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay, next is Twisted by Laurie Hall Sanderson and Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. These two authors are rock stars of the YA world, and they're both writing about masculinity and how the world's expectations of, of how men ultimately impacts boys. So Twisted is about a teenage boy named Tyler who grew up sort of under the radar with um, 
you know, every aspect of his life. He's completely average in school and average in looks and average in abilities, but he's generally a good kid and um, unfortunately got into some trouble doing graffiti at school. And so he's for, he's forced to work for the summer outside. And I think it's, it's been a while since I've read this, but I think he's doing construction of some kind. And, um, and so he, he has to repair the, the damage he's done. So because of that, he gets into really great shape and that attracts attention from everyone, especially girls, including the daughter of his father's boss, who has been his crush for years. So they have this kind of tenuous new relationship that causes um, issues to rise up that that Tyler has to confront um, specifically about what is expected of him when he's growing up into a man. So Long Way Down is um, it's a novel that's written as a poem that is about a 15-year-old boy named Will who is reeling after the shooting death of his brother. And he knows that what is expected of him to be a man is to get revenge. So he leaves his apartment with a gun and gets into the elevator of his building. And I think I think he's on the seventh floor, um, high up, uh, high enough up that this happens uh, several times, what I'm going to say. Um, and so at each floor, this elevator stops and the person, someone that he used to know, gets on the elevator and talks to him about what happened to them as a result of gun violence. So um, this is, is kind of like a magical realism-esque story. So it's just so good. I When I listened to it, I immediately started the, um, the audiobook right over again because it's only like two and a half hours long or something like that. And it's just it, like the writing is amazing. The story is amazing. I just loved it. So I paired these because both books are interested in picking apart the myths that men are fed that teach them to hide their emotions and turn to violence. And then um, I think it's interesting to look at how Long Way Down adds this layer of race that adds a different perspective to the, to the story and makes you consider the ways that Tyler in Twisted is able to, to some degree, indulge the feelings of, of um, frustration that he has and that will won't be able to do that to do that because of how he's judged by the color of his skin and they they both have uh cultural expectations that differ but they're really rooted in the same thing so um i i think that they both are are telling the same story but from different directions which i i think would make for a fun pairing and i i just love that these books are very readable and have compelling plots but they're also um great teaching tools for for young readers so um I, when I very first moved to Nashville, I went to an author reading for Jason Reynolds and there were all these teenage boys there who were like 13, maybe like mm-hmm. around that age. And they were just so into him. And it Aww. was just so fun to see an author have like a fan club. Right. In that way. It was, like, it was like very, a rock star. That's awesome. Yeah, it was very, very uh, cute. And so um, and so I like that books can have that power of, of yeah. having a book that's very readable and very fun for a kid to read, but also is is talking about stuff that that makes sense to them and, and mm-hmm. is um, uh, relatable to their lives. So that is Twisted by Lori Halsey Anderson and uh, Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Long Way Down is one I've had on my list to read since it came out and I just haven't gotten to it. And I think maybe I'll do the audiobook now. Yeah, the audio that. is so good. That's so good. Okay. Uh, thank you. I'm going to put it on hold at the library. Um, <laughs> so my next pairing is Chemistry by Waiki Wang and Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. And I will start by saying Sorrow and Bliss is one of my favorite books that I've read so far this year. And have I talked about it on this podcast? I am not sure, actually. Uh, I don't so I'm sorry. Think so. I don't think I have. So I am glad to have the chance to talk about it. But just a little preview, it will likely show up in my best or my favorite books of the year. The reason I paired these two together is because they're both about young women who feel a bit lost at sea in their lives um, and also are dealing with some mental illness, some mental health issues. So in chemistry, a young woman who has always been a really high achiever is in graduate school. She's a scientist and, as you would guess from the title, and <laughs> she um, her, her boyfriend proposes to her and she doesn't know whether to say yes or not. She's always been a very scientifically minded person. And so love and emotions don't really make a whole lot of sense to her. And so she's not quite sure if she wants to marry him. He's, He's taken a job out of state. And so that would mean uprooting her life that she knows. And that seems, that's very uncomfortable for her. And, and, 
she didn't have the best example from her parents of a loving marriage. So she's just not exactly sure if that's the path that she wants to take with her life. She's also really kind of uncertain about what she's doing in her graduate program and if that's the right thing for her. So she's just sort of not not in a good place, really. And so she's trying to figure that out. Uh, and then in Sorrow and Bliss, Martha is the main character. And Martha started having depressive episodes when she was a teenager. And she had really eccentric parents. And so the way they reacted wasn't maybe the most supportive way ever. And now she is in her 30s. And she ha she was married briefly once and now has gotten remarried and is is struggling to figure out kind of why people love her. She feels unlovable. She has a, a fraught relationship with her parents. And she's actually one of the aspects I loved about the book the most was the relationship with her sister because it's one of those relationships where they love each other to death, but they also can kind of get each under each other's skin better than anybody else can in the way that you can do that mm -hmm. with somebody who you know so well. Yeah. Uh, so she's just feeling sort of just lost like that's my theme for this one is she's not sure what if if she'll ever be happy I guess is really the biggest thing like what is going to make her happy and so she's kind of resigned herself that she's just maybe not going to be she I don't want to say too much to give too much away but she something happens that she starts thinking that maybe there is a possibility that she could be happy and maybe there is a possibility that she can repair some of these relationships in her life but she's worried maybe it's too late so the mental health aspects, the way it's approached in both of these books is, is different. The, it, they're not similar in sort of the writing style or the way they approach these topics. But I think that they both do it with a great deal of empathy. And you have a lot of sympathy for the characters, even though the characters aren't the main characters. These women aren't always really... <sighs> Not that they're not likable, but they make decisions that are can be frustrating as the yeah. reader. That you you know that they're doing something that you want to say, no, don't do that. You, you're going to ruin or you're going to hurt somebody's feelings or you have this man who loves you and, and supporting you and you're just pushing him away or whatever it is. So, But the way that they're portrayed is, is with such heart. You just feel for these, these women as they're going through this. And the one thing I really liked about it is chemistry in particular the way it is written it feels very connected to the type of person that the main character is and the main character is never named in chemistry uh, and m most of the characters actually aren't named and so the way it's just it feels very much in line with sort of that logical scientific way of approaching things is the way the story is written it's sort of like in a staccato very spare prose Ooh, yeah. and then sorrow and bliss is more it's not particularly like beautiful language, but it's just a more natural flowing kind of um, yeah. story. So I, I loved both of these. Chemistry I read a few years ago and Sorrow and Bliss I just read a few months ago. But they, you just, these characters are a little bit prickly and then you come to see why that they are that way and you come along this journey with them. And so I just, I really loved them both. So Chemistry by Waiki Wang and Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. I have both of those on my list, but I have Sorrow and Bliss sitting right next to my bed. <laughs> so I'm excited to get to that one, too, because yeah. I know it's it's one of your favorites. So. Yeah, I hope you like it. I'm sure I will. It has a pretty cover, too. So. <laughs> it does have a pretty cover. That always helps. Oh, okay. So my last pairing is The Murder at the Vicarage by Agatha Christie and Cocaine Blues by Carrie Greenwood. And um, these are both the first in the first books in each of these series, but really you could read any Miss Marple mm -hmm. or Miss Fisher. I just picked these for the characters. Um, so Miss Marple is very, very famous. Um, if you don't know who she is, she is an un an unmarried elderly woman who solves mysteries. And she's sort of, maybe not sort of, she is the prototype for today's cozy mystery series um of of being in a small town there being a sort of a, a gentle murder um yeah you you know the <laughs> the formula um and so murder of the vicarage like i said is the first and it's about a man in this village where miss marple lives um saint mary mead and he's hated by everyone and he is one day found dead in the vicar's study and everyone has a reason to kill him and two people claim responsibility but they both couldn't have done it by logical reasons um, of, of who is seen at, at different times, but they also 
uh, both confessed. And so why would they both confess and who really did this this crime? Cocaine Blues is about Miss Fisher, um, who uh, her, her first name is Phryne, and she was born in Australia very poor. And through through the circumstances of of World War One, where so many men died, her father ends up being a distant relation to someone who dies and inherits his British title. And so they immigrate to England and she ends up serving in World War One and learns all kinds of useful skills doing that. After the war, she has one experience where she solves a theft at her family's home um, during a party and is asked by a family friend who sees this to go find his missing daughter in Australia. So she ends up, um, I can't remember now if she moves there specifically at this point or if she just travels there and then decides to live there. But she, she ends up starting this career as a lady detective as she says mm -hmm. and she's the epitome of a flapper and mm -hmm. she loves to dance and she loves drinking and she loves men and she loves to get into danger so um, I picked this because it's two opposites of the female detective uh, Miss Marple is these are both very very famous characters but they're they're just two sides of the same coin so Miss Marple solves her murders by observing and um, the by virtue of being overlooked and one of the themes of the book of, of all of these books is how often she's dismissed as irrelevant and then she ends up knowing more than anyone else in the room and she isn't physically able to go out and do investigating in the same way that Franny Fisher can um, both because of like the propriety of being an elderly woman but she's also not able to do these physical tasks and she's treated really badly by a lot of characters and um, just still has to solve all these murders using her brain um, and then Phryne is known for being extremely feminine but also is very tough and scrappy and really gets in there to do the action of of these um, of, of investigating along with her brain and so she she sneaks around and chases bad guys and she has a fast car that she loves to drive. And so it's also this unexpected um, take on what is expected from women at that time, but it's in a different way than Miss Marple. And so I like to I like the idea of pairing these and thinking about who makes the better detective and what do you actually need to be a detective and how are women dismissed in these books, both in their physical and their mental strength. And I love that it's two sides of the spectrum but they're both valid they both mm -hmm. are are um better than everyone else that they know they're both able to do things that no one else can do but from completely different directions and so i think that this would be um in many ways a fun pairing you could do a book pairing and then a movie pairing and that would be really fun because they both have uh uh televised series so that is the murder at the vicarage by agatha christie and cocaine blues by carrie greenwood that would be such a fun pairing. I like what you. I like how you just put those together. Thank those you. Are, yeah, those are those would be fun. All right. So my last one is "Fierce Kingdom" by Jen Phillips and "The Push" by Ashley Audrain, and I think this is my favorite pairing <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like listeners are either going to be like, "What is she doing?" <laughs> Or they're going to be like, she is brilliant. So I don't feel like there's much of an in-between. So in Fierce Kingdom is about a woman who is at the zoo with her four-year-old son. And it's getting close to closing time. And zoos are big places. So she's making her way to the front. And they're really kind of running out the clock here as it's about to close. And she she's walking towards to exit the zoo. And there are she sees bodies. She sees people on the ground and oh realizes gosh. that they're bodies and then sees a man with a gun walking into the restroom. And so she immediately, of course, grabs her son and pulls him close to her and starts going back into the heart of the zoo. And the, the book takes place just over the course of the night as she attempts to keep herself and her son safe from what turns out to be a couple of gunmen in the, in the zoo. And you have the wild animals and you have these men and you have a four-year-old kid who doesn't understand why he can't have his snack. And now he's tired and he wants to go to bed. And all of that is just it's so tense and it's so suspenseful. And it, it's, I, it was one of those one sitting reads for me. I mean, it was just, I could not put it down. It was so tense. And then the push I've already talked about, and I did, talked about not too long ago, so I won't go into too much detail, but it's about a woman who 
from the time she gives birth to her daughter thinks that there's something wrong with her daughter. She thinks that um, she's maybe legitimately evil and she's sort of a psychopath or a sociopath that she just doesn't um, behave as other children behave. And the whole book, as a reader, you're trying to figure out if the child truly is evil or if maybe the the mother is mentally unstable and imagining it and maybe she's doing some things that aren't quite on the up and up. And so the whole book, you're just questioning that. So the reason I paired these together is because in Fierce Kingdom, you have a mother trying to protect her child from this outside terror that is happening both the gunman and then also she's in an environment with lots of wild animals and then in the push you have a mother who's trying to protect the outside world from the the malevolent force that she thinks her daughter is so i put those two together for that because i think it would be an interesting reading experience about motherhood and what that means Mm -hmm. and kind of protecting your children and what what that means and so that's why i put them together plus they're both just really tense kind of suspenseful reads but in for very different reasons so that is fierce kingdom by jen phillips and the push by ashley audrain that's very interesting because they're both they're both like ruminations on what it what it takes to be a mother yeah but yeah yeah. But yeah, from different, from vastly different directions. Different directions. Yeah, um, I like it. Thank You're you. Brilliant. Thank you. I actually Thanks. also have an honorable mention that was the very first book pairing that came to mind, but I felt like we had talked one of these books to death, basically, so I didn't want to do it again. But uh, Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson oh, yeah. and Amer- the American and American Marriage by Tayari Jones, uh, I think, would be a fantastic pairing about. Um, criminal justice system and the way it treats people who potentially are not guilty of the crimes that they have committed. Yeah. And and so I think those would make a really excellent pairing. And as we've been talking, really something that we didn't say, which I had forgotten um, and I wanted to bring up was the listener who wrote in said, I believe she and her friend have a book club where they do this, where they both read two books and then discuss them. I think that's what right. she said, which I think, I think so is, too. yeah, which I think is such a fun idea. So this is a great, um, this is a great little exercise. I think that would be a fun. Yeah. Maybe we should do that as an episode one time. That would be fun. That would be really fun. It's funny. I, oh, I, I was going to say it's funny because I also had honorable mentions that I didn't end up talking about that oh. were my very first thing oh, tell that them. I thought yeah. of. So mine was was Jane Eyre and uh, by Charlotte Bronte and White mm. Sargasso Sea by oh, Jane yes. Reese. Yep. Um, that was the very first thing I thought of because I love I, – that's like the epitome of – taking a classic text and Mm -hmm. then something that answers that text and so I don't really want to say anything because one of the big reveals of Jane Eyre is the basis for White Sargasso Sea but um so that's that's one of the reasons I decided not to talk about it but it's funny that we both were like this is the first this is what I'm going to talk about and then didn't do either any of those books (laughs) yeah well it was just it felt it I don't know. I felt like that wasn't bringing anything new to our particular conversation to talk about Just Mercy. I mean, we've we basically told listeners that if they don't read that, they can't be friends with us anymore. So yeah. uh, I didn't. I just didn't feel like it, we needed to talk about it, but I did want to make sure to get that in there because I do think that if you haven't read it and if you haven't read An American Marriage, those would make a fantastic pairing. I yeah, feel like we I could agree. do this episode over and over because now that we've talked about it, I, I feel like I'm going to be thinking of books right. to pair in this way and it would be right. fun to do it. It would be fun to do the classic the classics idea and then I don't know I just it's a fun way to think about books yeah pair them together I always appreciate thinking about them in a different way because we spend all day thinking about them and then to to say oh this is this is a skill that I used to kind of have that I don't utilize Mm -hmm. as much anymore this is appreciated yeah all right well we will be right back with what we're reading this week And what are you reading this week? Um, the book I'm actually reading, I talked about in the preview episode, and I'm oh. not far enough in it to say anything more than what I said in that preview episode. What is so it? Just share. It's uh, The Rib King by oh, Lady, okay. or, uh, Lady Hubbard. I switched okay. my, my constants in that. Um, and so I'm going to talk about a book I read recently instead. Okay. So I'm uh, 
uh, talking about How to Fail at Flirting by Denise Williams. And this is about, it's a romance, and it's about a woman named Naya who is a professor at a local college, and she studies math education. And she's always been pretty conservative, and she's come from a conservative family background, and she's known in her group of friends for playing by the rules. And she just doesn't really like to stir the boat so she finds out that her program is going to possibly be cut by the new college president and so she goes to these this uh, couple that she's friends with both of them and is complaining to them about how she doesn't know what she'll do if if this program is cut and they sort of criticize her for never taking any chances and living um, a very safe life and that this could be an opportunity for her so they make a list of things for her to try um, I think actually she makes the list but but it's in this discussion with them and so one of them is to uh, chat with a guy at a bar and another is to have a one night stand. And there's just a lot of um, romantic and sexual firsts that she mm-hmm. hasn't embarked on. So she is supposed to meet up with these two friends at a bar to start uh, going down the list and to to find activities that she can do. Um, and then they end up bailing on her and she uh a a cute guy ends up overhearing the the discussion and so he starts talking to her um and his name is jake and they start drinking together and so in the course of the evening they end up having her check off several things on this list and then uh she goes up back to his hotel with him and she thinks she's going to have this one night stand but she ends up throwing up all over him so he yeah (laughs) the the biggest nightmare of all (laughs) Uh, so he ends up calling her the next day still and is still interested in her and so he's in town for a wedding and they decide to just have this casual fling for the weekend and they agree not to tell each other many things about about their lives because they know that this is nothing serious but of course because this is a romance the connection strengthens and they begin to find out things about each other that jeopardize that bond and it's stuff that they should have said uh from the beginning and so one of them, as as things are progressing, I, I guess she doesn't need to have said this right at the very beginning, but as the relationship progresses and she doesn't reveal this, um, it it throws a wrench in things. This this thing that she should have said is that one of um, or her most recent relationship was an abusive one. And she dated a professor who was physically and mentally abusive to her. And when she finally left him after two years, he tried to ruin her career at, the, at their um, shared place of, of work. And so he's the reason that she's become so hesitant and um, kind of um, demure in all aspects of her life. And there's there's actually a scene um, where someone says something really racist to her. She's she's uh, half black and half, I think, Irish Mexican, um, if I'm remembering right. And so she someone says something to her when she's with Jake that's just incredibly racist and she doesn't engage at all. She just says it's not worth it. It's not worth the trouble. And you sort of realize through the course of the book that in her mind, she is not worth the trouble. It's mm. It's not that she doesn't believe that those are things that you should engage in it's just that it doesn't apply to her to have to engage with it so so it's it's just interesting to to see how all of this um wraps up together and leads into each other and i i confess when i read it i was really really i listened to it i was really frustrated as i listened um because she does so many things that are terrible decisions and um just sabotages herself in so many ways and um, has really strong reactions to things that are frustrating to to read about but the, after sitting with it longer that's I think the point of the book because mm-hmm. that's what she has to come back from and to and she needs to become the person that she can be and and someone that she can um, end up uh, she needs to be able to have a healthy relationship and a healthy career and all these things that she really owes to herself so um, someone on our committee mm-hmm. maybe it was you said that there's a new theme called or maybe not called officially but sad fluff yeah (laughs) that that's that's sort of the new theme for contemporary romances Mm -hmm. that we're seeing a lot of and this definitely fits into this um so i will say that there is a lot of discussion of abusive relationships and so if that's something that's difficult for you then i would avoid this book and it it kind of felt off kilter because the cover looks like a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. but it's it's a pretty dark book in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. but it's very um the romance is very, very sweet, and I ultimately found it really compelling and very, um, 
I guess I was listening so I, I could put mm-hmm. it down, but I, but I really wanted to find out how this mm-hmm. would resolve and how she would progress into a better person. So um, I don't know that I've ever seen, I don't read as many romances as you, obviously. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever seen that one that deals with abuse before. So can you, can you say whether it's more common to see that or if that's like it's... a new thing that's coming up more? I feel like it's coming up more now. I've read a few actually recently that have all... Not, I mean, in the past year or two, I would say, when yeah. I say recently, uh, that that deal with that, and, and to some extent, and yeah, I think it's something, and it's an interesting thing because I just read one of these sad fluff books as well over the weekend, <laughs> and it it definitely changes the tone of the romance quite a bit, and so mm-hmm. I don't know, for me, I still haven't quite decided where I land on that like I don't know that those aren't those don't tend to be my favorite romances when they Mm -hmm. when they because abuse is such a a difficult topic it's such a heavy topic and so Mm -hmm. then when you pair that with what to me is usually escapist reading and light and fluffy and fun that it's it just isn't what I'm looking for but it's definitely becoming more just like so many other things in romance are there I feel like there's more incorporation of real life whatever yeah. that might be so I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> a book about that included the main characters had a chronic illness and that's becoming more common and so right. things like that the real the things that shape a person are becoming more integrated into the escapism of romance which I think mm-hmm. makes sense we're seeing the reflection of what people really deal with in their lives. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it's, but it's interesting that because I, I don't quite know where I land with, uh, as far as personal preference right. when I read these, because so far the one, I did read one that the man had been in an abusive relationship and that felt, I don't think I had seen that ever before. And that mm-hmm. was a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, it definitely seems it's not super common still but i i do feel like you're seeing more we're seeing yeah. more of it yeah yeah i i really i found that that for me i was i definitely was frustrated reading it because i i have a hard time with women mm-hmm. sabotaging themselves in books mm-hmm. uh, maybe because it's i it's that i relate to it so much that i don't like reading about it uh-huh. but it was it was harder for me like i i felt like i appreciated having something a little less frothy right that the cover didn't match that right. and that right. was i wish the cover had been like the book you're talking about was mm-hmm. um uh seven days and right seven days June. in june yeah and i like that that cover doesn't look like right romantic right. comedy cover yeah. and so i wish that this had had something different so that i it wasn't such a shock to be like oh, this is, this is heavy. <laughs> right. Stuff happened to her. So, so I guess that's my, my main uh, quibble with it, but I don't know. It's, it's yeah. interesting to, I would actually say the same thing about the shift. Yeah. Right. And I would say the same thing about the book I read over the weekend being that the cover didn't, the cover looked light and fluffy and the description sounded light and fluffy. And then there was a very sad element to the book. Mm-hmm. And I think if my expectations had just been more in line, what was actually in the book, I would have been, and it was, it's pretty apparent from the beginning what the sad part's going to be. So mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, I could have set it aside fairly early on if I wanted to, but I don't think it was, it wasn't really sprung on me. Yeah. Three quarters of the way through or something like that. But yeah, it's something, the marketing is a little bit off because it seems like a beach read kind of book. And then it's, it's just more sad. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on that one. See yeah. if there's more. Yeah. All right. So, so I read a, my book that I'm reading this week is also a romance. I just finished it last night. Um, and it's The Duke Undone by Joanna Lowell. Or Lowell? Lowell? Um, and it starts, start, it's such a great first scene. So it starts, this is a Victorian romance. And it starts with a woman and she's in an alley and she steps on something in the alley and it crunches. She hears it crunch. And she looks down and she thinks it's going to be a rat and or something oh, like gosh. that. And then realizes it's a person's hand that she has stepped on. 
and then realizes it's a man's hand and the man is naked. And so she has a brief moment of thinking he's dead because he hasn't reacted in any way. He hasn't flinched or anything. The fact that she stepped on his hand. And then she realizes that, no, he's not. He's not dead. He's just very, very, very drunk. And he has passed out in this alley. So she clearly this is a Victorian romance. She's not going to be found with a naked drunk man in an alley. I mean, that would ruin her forever. So she <laughs> she leaves and she pays this kind of street urchin kind of boy um, a little bit of money to go. She gives him her shawl and she says, go cover up this man and just stay around and make sure that he wakes up and that he's OK. And then so then the story goes on. And so she is an artist or an aspiring artist, and she's studying at this royal the Royal Academy of Arts or something like that. that anyway, right. does that sound right? And um, and and she's allowed to study, but the women are restricted from attending any class that deals with the naked form of the body. So mm-hmm. she relies on her memory of seeing this man to paint and uh, a portrait, basically, of not him. She puts him in. She's inspired by him to put him in this other. It's like a mythological kind of image and so lo and behold a few months later it's four or five months later the man from the alley walks into a house and sees this (laughs) painting hanging on the wall and it's clearly him and he is clearly naked and he thinks what in the world how how does somebody why did somebody paint me like this so he decides to track down the artist assumes the artist is a man uh because it's just signed l coover uh but l stands for lucy uh so he he (laughs) goes and finds the um finds her first she kind of lies about she says it's her uncle or something like that and then um and then they, it comes pretty quickly clear who she is. And she, when she sees him, she says, my corpse. And he's like, why are you, why are you saying my corpse? <laughs> and it's just this, like, hilarious, adorable, be cute. But anyway, they, um, so they, they start talking and they get to know each other a little bit. And it's one of those things where she's just trying to avoid him because she's embarrassed. And then they end up, um, kind of making friends with each other there's a bit of a spark as you would imagine in a romance and they but they strike a deal because the oh and the guy's a duke i didn't mention that he's a duke of course he's a duke <laughs> and so his sister went missing or disappeared he thinks she's off um performing in the theater somewhere but he doesn't know where so they strike a deal lucy will help try to track down his sister and and he has sway over matters of law and things like that because he's a duke and her aunt has a dressmaking shop that is about to be torn down it's about to be condemned so she asks him to help her make sure that that doesn't happen because that's her aunt's livelihood and that's where they live and so she asks him so they strike this deal okay you help me find my sister i'll help with your aunt's uh, dressmaking shop but of course it's you know all in service of them ending up getting closer and closer and falling in love what I liked about this a lot, and as we talk about romances being light and fluffy, this was not particularly, it wasn't dark by any means. It wasn't heavy like some of the stuff we were just talking about, but it does deal with some real issues. Um, and the the parts about the housing being condemned or the shop being condemned go dives into like class inequality a fair bit. Um mm. The Duke's father left a will about he can't get his money until he turns 30 and he has to marry somebody acceptable. And so he can't marry Lucy because she's not acceptable. And um, so there's some about that. There's some things about women's rights and what they have at the school that they're not allowed to do. And they're not allowed to vote and different things. And then um, and also he deals he battles with alcoholism. And so there's some real life issues that are woven through, but in a way that doesn't feel it doesn't feel thrown in. It feels very organic to the story and it doesn't feel unnecessary. It just all feels like it makes sense for who she builds the characters to be. Yeah. Uh, so I really liked it. And it was one of, um, we're going to, I'm sure this is going to happen a lot throughout the year. So I hope people are okay with it. One of the committee members commented that the historical elements, the facts of the era and stuff felt 
true to who the characters were. And sometimes, and I would agree with this, sometimes in historical romance, it feels like the they're very modern people just plopped right. down in a historical era. And this really felt like these were people. I mean, the Lucy in particular definitely has a modern sensibility to her and her independence mm-hmm. and her want, she wants to be an artist and all these things, but it, it still feels true to who she could have been then too, and what she's sort of fighting up against yeah. because she's a woman. So, um, so yeah, it was good. And it was a fun fact. I got to the end and I start, I always read the acknowledgements at the end yeah. and the woman is a professor where I went to school. So she oh. was thanking the school and she Thanked a couple of professors that I had back in the day when I was there. So I don't know. Oh, it, was just, awesome. it was so fun to see. Yeah. Uh, so that was The Duke Undone by Joanna Lowell. That's very cool. It sounds great. Yeah. All right. So why don't we go back? We have a whole bunch of books to read. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes at this point, I said, well, we didn't really talk about any books today. But this t- today, we have a whole bunch of books to read off. <laughs> okay. So I talked about The Seducer's Diary by Søren Kierkegaard. Uh, and Erengard by Isaac Dinesen with the bonus of City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert, Twisted by Laurie Hall Sanderson and the Lo- and Just Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds, The Murder in the Vicar... See, I did it again. The Murder <laughs> at the Vicarage by Agatha Christie and Cocaine Blues by Carrie Greenwood. And what I'm reading this week is How to Fail at Flirting by Denise Williams. All right. And I talked about Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly. The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Cowell. Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason and Chemistry by Waikie Wang. The Push by Ashley Audrain and Fierce Kingdom by Jen Phillips. And what I was reading this week was The Duke Undone by Joanna Lowell. So thank you so much for that listener suggestion. If you anyone else has another suggestion that they want to share with us, you can get in touch with us uh, by email at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Uh, Please rate and review us wherever you find podcasts. That really helps other people find the show. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. We also wanted to let you know that we think we are going to have to skip recording our next episode. I, we apologize for that. Uh, it is hard sometimes with travel, uh, which we could travel again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to find a time to coordinate recording and, and everything else that we do to prepare and edit and all those th- good things for this podcast. So I apologize, but I think we're going to have to skip the next episode. We'll be back in probably four weeks. Uh, uh, Thank you all for listening and happy reading.